some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's just like the rules of feminism. That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with. Agenda with women in the arts. Good morning. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Isabel Hawthorburn. And I'm Katie Winton. Thanks to all the best for another brilliant episode. Jump online to listen back to more fantastic radio documentaries. This afternoon, we're hosting an experimental panel discussion at the Museum of Contemporary Art with past, past guests, Arts Partnership Zinn, comprised of Harriet Gillies and Rosalind Helper, as well as Xanthi Dobby, Talia Smith and FBI's own Sabella D'Souza, who is going to join us in about 10 minutes to chat about her latest project and to give us a little taste of what you can expect from this afternoon's event. I am so excited to talk to Sabella. She is a fountain of knowledge um, all things art and internet, which is right up our alley. Um, if you want to hear um, about her talking about those issues IRL, we're actually giving away two tickets to our event at the MCA, the Savo. What we want to know is um, what your first interactions were with the internet. Text us on 0409 945 945 with your first experience with the internet. Uh, you can hear a little bit more about our speaker's first experience with the internet like all of the speakers on the panel discussion this afternoon. There are some pretty funny ones. What was yours, Izzy? Mine, I don't remember... I I can't remember if it was the internet or we just had like a CD of Britannica. I think it might have just been like a a CD. But I do remember like Ask Jeeves before Google, my mum being really polite to Jeeves and being like, Jeeves is like, hello, how can I help you? And my mum would be like, oh, hello, Jeeves. Um, just wondering. <laughs> and like would frame it like an actual question. And now I think about the way that I interact with like Google and I'm like, pizza, dress, made of eggs. So it's like a very different interaction than I have. Um, but yeah, if you look at your search history, I just feel like it's one of those things you like, oh my God, what is wrong with me? I need to like... It's dark. <laughs> of speaking of search history, I think yeah, that was one of the things that was in Zin's show, uh, Innocence is where the internet goes to die and you can come to where they were searching things and just like kind of reading out the first things that popped up. So I don't know, that might happen this afternoon yeah. at the panel at MCA. Stick around to hear more about that. Our producer Mari used to get in trouble for finishing her work early and getting computer time, <laughs> but then she spent too long on computer games. She was a smart kid, apparently. <laughs> Hi Mari. Thanks. <laughs> We're also going to be talking about Kylie Jenner's new line of bikinis. I keep on saying it as Kylie Jenner's new bikini line, and that's like a completely different (laughs) thing. Um, uh, And so we'll be talking about how some commentators have suggested that it constitutes cultural appropriation. So we'll be talking about that. We'll talk about that soon. But probably the biggest news of this week is a story that started in Sydney. You might have come across the controversy that kicked off on Tuesday around Roxane Gay's interview and the subsequent backlash at how she was treated by Mia Friedman from Mamma Mia!, Roxane Gay is an internationally known feminist writer and professor and someone that we defer to quite a lot on agenda in her writing and interviews. Um, But as you can imagine, when she came to Sydney for the Writers' Festival a couple of weeks ago, we were pretty excited. We went and saw her. She was amazing. And she talked about her most recent book called Hunger, which is a memoir that takes readers through the physical and emotional realities of her daily life um, as a woman of size. And... Um, in the book, Miss Gay described an episode of sexual assault she suffered as a child and the way she tried to cope with the trauma. So it's a really beautiful new book. Yeah, it's an incredible book. And I think it's it's her memoir, but it's also just the consistent beauty and like honesty of her storytelling and the way that she talks about her experiences that makes her this really magnetic 
um, writer and it's why so many people admire her, us included, and it's why people have found comfort um, and inspiration and solace in her work. And so, and it's she's just giving so much of herself um, to the reader or the listener because she's also like an academic, um, and she gives a lot of talks and things like that. She's so giving of her herself, which just made it like so horrifying how cruelly she was treated by Mamma Mia and specifically by Mia Friedman. Um, yeah, what what did Mia Friedman actually write? I think so. There was the interview, which was just like deeply, deeply uncomfortable. And there was, she just kept on like asking her about like her regrowth and like of her hair and just being, there was just all of these instances where Roxane Gay was like, wow, you like really don't pull any punches. Or like she was kind of giving her these like gentle signals that she was uncomfortable. And Mia Friedman was just like bulldozing them and like being completely insensitive to her obvious discomfort. Um, apparently one of her, um, all that Roxane Gay asked for was like a sturdy chair, which is like completely understandable if you're, um, if that's just something that would make you feel comfortable in that situation. So Mia Friedman described that. She said she was super morbidly obese and she uses language that Roxane Gay uses to speak about herself, but that's in a really confessional kind of deeply personal, um, memoir. It's not for for someone to take out of context and to put back onto you in a kind of very oppressive, really patriarchal way, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, anyway, I think, so when you're overweight, your body becomes a matter of public record in many respects and it's constantly and prominently on display. And Roxane Gay kind of, I don't know, she... she released a statement that said fat much like skin color is something you cannot hide no matter how dark the clothing you wear or how diligently you avoid horizontal stripes people are quick to offer statistics and information about the dangers of obesity as if you are not only fat but incredibly stupid unaware and delusional about your body and a world that is vigorously inhospitable to that body you are your body nothing more and your body should damn well become less yeah it's quite illustrative of um, just that being less like you need to take up less space and it also completely diminishes or it completely kind of takes out of context the i guess the intelligence or the beauty of her writing and Mm. her work as a person it kind of it's really reductive and it comes back to this whole you know thing that is kind of a patriarchal way of reporting something in the media across the board you know when someone says to you like what's it like being a woman in music or like mm. how do your boobs mm. interact with your guitar it's like yeah. it completely what Mia Friedman did was did was just replicate those patriarchal ways of interviewing someone and I talking about their body I agree and I think it's funny because her behavior like Friedman's language that she uses in the way that she treated her is exemplifies the kind of behavior that we've historically assigned to the patriarchy that women need to take up less space and it's it's almost like demanding that she be smaller. And it's so funny because Gay is like vastly, she just excels her as a thinker and an orator and as a writer. And there's just this part of Mia Friedman that obviously calculated that because of her particular body type, that in that situation, that it made, it made her feel superior and I also think that because of Gay's blackness and queerness it compacted Friedman's sense of superiority and I think Roxane Gay is one of the most resilient brilliant and resilient um, writers and academics but she's also a human being and the way that Mamma Mia editorialized and lied about the interview was really dehumanizing and I think 
it dehumanizes a lot of women that not a lot but there was definitely women that have worked with Mamma Mia and uh, and been interviewed with them and they said that they like read the interview and they just started crying because it was like that's what they think about me as well it's not just about what she how she understands Roxanne Gates how that organization understands and reads the like women bigger women yeah I guess in a way though like Mamma Mia Mia Friedman has reported on some pretty I mean she's done some pretty atrocious reporting in the oh, past she's a garbage journalist yeah <laughs> um so in a way I guess it's kind of good because now everyone is talking about how awful she is and it really it it compounds mm. you know her awful journalism I guess yeah stop reading Mamma Mia yeah. go read Teen Vogue <laughs> <laughs> so but, of course I, yeah it wouldn't be a meaningful discussion of pop culture though if we uh, didn't talk about the Kardashian-Jenner dynasty mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and take a look at Kylie Jenner's new camo bikini line and claims that it's cultural appropriation and specifically that um, they ripped off Destiny's Child the Destiny's Child video for Survivor and also my all-time favourite artistic director Tina Knowles she knows how to <laughs> design an outfit or three. <laughs> Tina, I love Tina. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of a tricky one because I guess it's a less obvious form of cultural appropriation and it's not even really about the camo print fabric, but it's more about it contextualised in terms of Kylie's appropriating the hood aesthetic and also kind of in the context of the Kardashian-Jenner's previous multiple cultural appropriation blunders, including... Um, oh, God, yeah. Uh, I'm not even going to list them, but there's some pretty bad ones. Yeah, I think maybe we should talk to Sabella about it because she yeah. was talking about it the other day. Something that I'd never really, uh, um, she can explain it a lot better, but how the appropriating the hood aesthetic is a part of cultural appropriation as well. And I, but I think like in this particular instance, there have been so many instances of Kylie Jenner, as you said, and her sisters appropriating African-American culture and copting and flat out ripping off artists um, and the hood aesthetic. And I, I don't know, like you can see, um, you know, overdrawing your lips and, Um, like waxing baby hairs and things like that as like relatively innocuous within the context. But I don't know. So I'm thinking about it in terms of like the cultural context of, you know, for hundreds of years in America, women of colour have been told that they are unattractive and that their beauty is assessed in terms of proximity to whiteness. And at the same time in this moment and for a very long time, um, it is unsafe for people of colour to walk down the street. And so there's this like for someone who benefits from whiteness and the safety and privilege of whiteness to then pick up the aesthetic of blackness for almost like an accessory. Yeah, and as an accessory that you can take or leave as well. I think exactly, that's the, that you that's can take the it predominant mm. um, problem with it. Uh, Princess Nokia, our all-time favourite, actually has a really great um, talk where she like explains why Katy Perry um, doing her video clip with the braids and the watermelon is like really problematic and like very culturally inappropriate. We'll pop a link up to that on our agenda show page. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now we're going to take a track from Unique, uh, who is a, an artist from Jersey who is playing at Oxford Arts Factory tonight for I the Women <laughs> Women in Electronic Music Showcase, which is presented by FBI Radio and Music New South Wales. This one is called Trunk. Stick around because we're talking to Sabella D'Souza up next. Ooh. You're on FBI Radio. Through the bullshit, better stick to the script and know how to act like a bad one. Give me hair 
lady that my nails done. Money ain't a thing, better grind hard and get some. Working this ass in my whip, riding shotgun. Yo, and I'ma stop like Santa, better get like me, cause there ain't no others. I'ma bounce to this. Make a bang like a drummer. Go on, make a clap real bad like thunder. Twerking these hips on the world's nice wonder. I got a lot of cake, and I be doing numbers. Let's make a hot, even though it ain't summer. Go and shake that shit, cause I know you really wanna. kid with trunk you're listening to agenda on fbi radio we're asking you what your first interaction was with the internet and one anonymous listener said that the first time they used the internet they looked up naked naked lady websites and their dad caught them out on the second day i think that's a pretty common experience just like getting a computer and being like boobies (laughs) i love the text says i knew i should have learned how to delete search history but i couldn't wait (laughs) text us with your first experience of the internet we're joined now by performance artist sabella d'souza sabella hi hello (laughs) hi how are you what was your i'm good yeah (laughs) thanks Um, what was your first experience with the internet? Um, I can't really remember my first, but the one that I like to tell is I was cyberbullied on Neopets by my own sister. Damn. Uh, <laughs> no, what she used to do is um, you, uh, I she like would be like, oh, I'll show you how to play Neopets. Like this is a thing that's on the internet. Use it. And um, she would make me like I'd make my own little characters and stuff. But she'd always buy like a Neopet cow and name it I Hate BB. Her name is BB. <laughs> she'd call it I Hate BB all in capitals, and then she'd like call mum and dad and be like Sabella named her like how I hate BB like wow that is some 
like meta bullying. Yeah, she also used to send me like you used to be able to send Neopets to people as gifts, but there was like a glitch where it wouldn't, um, if you like had a certain amount of Neopets, you had to give up one automatically if you accepted this gift. So my sister sent me like a hundred Larry birds, which are like <laughs> the worst Neopet. <laughs> Not Larry, Lenny. They're called Lenny birds. And they're like these really annoying looking like birds. And she just sent them to me. And I had to get rid of all of my Neopets <laughs> to have oh, all no. of these silly, stupid Larry. Yeah, I- <laughs> <laughs> they are some good first interactions with the internet or like good first First internet story. Good yeah. bullying. Yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Well done, Top notch cyberbullying. Yeah. <laughs> my favorite one was like on MSN when people would like cyberbully each other and then be like, "Sorry, that was my cousin." <gasps> that and happened. I was like, "That was not your cousin. That was you." <laughs> you were on there. They're like, "Oh no, my friends took over." Or like asking people out. You know, yeah. like it was a joke. Yeah. Oh no, my friend was on there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just nudge them until they pay yeah. attention. Or, or send poke. Or send yeah. winks. Did that? Did ever? you do on MSN? Oh. You can do that on MSN. Yeah, you could send, send winks, winks, yeah. and they were like these like, um, like animatro- animated like images that would like make a lot of noise and mm. like it'd be like a dancing like cat or something. It was yeah. kind of like the equivalent of the, how we have stickers, but they would take up the entirety of your screen and just be like super obnoxious, <laughs> and you couldn't skip past them. They would just play, so you would just like bombard someone with it. Oh, that reminds me of, like, MySpace. You know that one that was, like, say something? And then yeah. there was another one that was, like, you make me blush. There's, like, right. six of them. <laughs> yeah, they were exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Deep web here <laughs> on Agenda this morning. Um, Sabella, you're re- speaking of deep web and, like, cyberbullying or cyber commentary, I guess. Um, your work, My Motherland is a Mouthful, has been shown previously and and you're working on another iteration of it yeah, at the moment. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about that work? Yeah. Um, so my motherland is a mouthful. I think I made it around 2015. So, wow. Yeah, 2015 I made it. Uh, maybe 2016. It doesn't matter when it was made, <laughs> really. It was made. It was made. I made it. It was a uh, performance work that I made. I made uh, uh, Dupata, Choli and Lahenga, which are like traditional Indian um, items of clothing. I learned how to make them from scratch, like from patterns. Went into a really a lot of weird deep web, <laughs> not even deep web because that's like the wrong term, but a lot of like heavy like Indian spaces where they were like ch- telling people how to make these cholis and stuff from patterns and like a lot of the like when I was trying to find things that would um fit my size particularly because I'm like size sixteen like around that and so I was trying to find cholis and dupatas and all these items that would like fit me and I so I was asking for all this help from all these like old like um, Indian aunties being like oh can you tell teach me how to like make this like a larger size and stuff like that because I have a background in sewing at RMIT. Anyway, I went and like onto one website and like the only thing that it wrote was like, if you want to make a size larger than this, you shouldn't be wearing a sari at all. Wow. Um, and so I, th- it's kind of like why I wanted to learn how to make all these clothing from scratch and myself. Um, and I made this work basically where I'm wearing this outfit in a like, a white room and I put on my, I use the app Periscope, which is an extension of uh, Twitter. It's um, basically a live stream. It's what you would now use as like Facebook live or like an Insta story live kind of thing. Um, But it's a little bit before then, but it still exists and lots of YouTubers use it. Anyway, yeah, I, like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. I used that to kind of like m- do my work, and I had a lot of weird kind of like racist comments and sexist comments, and tr- even a lot of transphobic comments as well, um, coming into that space. Um, yeah, and I made that work, and then I ended up uh, sending it to some artists in the UK, which I'll probably talk about later in the um, panel. Uh, but basically, they ended up sending it all around, and I ended up being able to show it at the Institute of Contemporary Art in London, which was really good. But yeah, it was just a bit of a whirlwind. So people interacted with your 
you through Periscope? Yes. So I had I had two feeds, two video feeds. I had one that was just like my Canon camera, like at the end of the mm-hmm. room, and then I also um brought up Periscope on my handheld device. Handheld device. My phone. Uh, I'm not a robot. <laughs> Are you? I don't yeah. know. Uh, cyborg. Are we, what, cyborg. What we're, is life? We're getting there. We're getting there. In a, in a perfect world. Um, no. <laughs> so I used... Um, so, so I really like that you came on for this like light chat and we're like, what is reality? <laughs> Are we all living in the internet? This is why I failed philosophy, metaphysics, <laughs> my first year and then I never did it again. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so I used like the live streaming app as part of that and I had a lot of people can comment on it as it's happening. So I was holding this kind of it's just doing like I don't know, like it the work wasn't very deep when I made it. It was just being like, Oh, I wanna make a work where I be I'm able to make these clothing of my culture and I wanna put it online because that's a really important part of my identity and the way in which I interact and I'm really interested in online as this transnational space and this place for um, people living in diaspora to kind of connect with their homelands and their motherlands and, um, you know, with with extended family and things like that. So I think that's a really, the internet's a really interesting side of resistance in those spaces. Yeah. I, I mean, I've spoken to you before about autonomous online spaces yeah. and that's something that you're, like, you're quite a part of quite a few yes. autonomous <laughs> in different, yeah, um, different Facebook groups. What are your and they tend to blow up. I mean, we've had this conversation before, right? Where something starts as an online autonomous space. Mm. Everyone takes it way out of control. Um, and then it kind of spirals into this thing. And then it blows up and kind of like self-detonates. And then no one ends up using it anymore. Yeah, I had a really interesting... I've been a part of a lot of autonomous groups. I think since I was about 16 or 17, there were like smaller ones within like small kind of like, you know, Melbourne... I'm originally from Melbourne. So these like kind of small communities there. Um and I found them as this kind of, like, respite from, uh, like, high school. Like, I was just, like, I went to a very... I think I was, like, one of three, like, South Asian people at my high school. And I... I don't know. I came into feminism and I kind of, like, liked it. But there were things about it that, like, it wasn't sitting right with me. And I was, like, you know, trying to read all this literature that, like, my, my sister's friends were giving me. And I was just kind of like, mm, this isn't, you know... I, 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 like, I like the idea of Riot Girl, but I'm not. There's something <laughs> there's something mm-hmm. here that isn't fitting. And I'm trying to be rockabilly and it's not working. And what am I doing? Um, and <laughs> I ended up in these online spaces where... I, I don't know, like, I, it was mainly Tumblr at first and talking about, like, you know, the Bindi is not Indie and all these different, like, Reclaim the Bindi groups and stuff like that. And then my um, kind of understanding of intersectional feminism and c- critical race theory kind of expanded even more as I, as Facebook kind of blew up in these terms of um, autonomous spaces online. So I started gr- joining these groups where, you know, I think... Uh, I got it originally from a group in... I originally went to a women's conference called NAUSA, which is the National Women's Organisation Australia, something along those lines. Um, I went to that. It was really, really interesting. But uh, there was a group created in relation to that because it was super white and it was just very overwhelming. Um, And so a lot of POC from that group ended up making this... um, online space for us to all kind of interact with and they're really interesting groups and we learn a lot in terms of politics and we learn from each other but also there's a very kind of intense like curve to learning I don't know and it kind of like if you don't fit that curve then sometimes they kind of self-implode but then they build up again and then everyone who joins it again like learns even more and I I don't know I think they're like one of the most like inherently radical spaces for learning and spaces of safety yeah (laughs) yeah it seems like there's this deep impulse in feminism to have an overarching 
theory yeah. for it, whereas like that idea that it's okay for it to, things to implode and for it to fracture, that's part of like the the way that you build ideas and have th- challenge ideas as well. Yeah, well, I sorry, I I um I kind of like. I know I've been learning more about queer theory and I've been learning more more and more and more. I'm like constantly trying to learn more about critical race theory because it's just something that I can't like let go of, <laughs> obviously. Um, but one of those things I found is that we see those um, kind of components as like lenses. You know, we see them as ways in which we see the world, but we don't really see feminism as that either. Like when someone's like, oh, you're a feminist, you know, your work is like feminist work or it's this, but it's like it's an intersection it's not just feminist mm. work and I can't you can't really make something wholly feminist because you're obviously bringing something else to it like just being femme identifying doesn't mean that it's just you know like there's so much more in those intersections and so I don't know yeah it's just an it's a process yeah like feminism is like becoming it's an act of like under construction it's a continuation it's not like that's why it really like frustrates me when people are like oh you know I'm an intersectional feminist. I'm like, but you're not. Like, that's like intersectionality is this idea of being and doing and ongoing. You can't be something because there's no, I don't know, there's no end goal. Mm. It's just a continuous process of learning. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I like that idea that like intersectional feminism is a process. It's not like a destination that you're like, and now I am this, and yeah. I inhabit intersectionality. <laughs> yeah, and it's you, like it's a it's a methodology for challenging. Well, yeah. I think this is what we've talked about, and what we talked about last week with Emma Size was about, and with Hannah Bronte was about you know, things like hip-hop being problematic but also really great in a lot of ways. Like, it's not, nothing is that definitive in terms of, like, Mm. okay, cool, I'm an intersectional feminist and then I'm going to, you know, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and I think queer theory brings a lot to that, that kind of unfixability and, you know, problem, yeah, probleming things. Yeah, which is why there are a lot of takeaways, or not takeaways, but a lot of kind of concepts in queer theory that are maybe um, less authoritative or less kind of... Mm. problematic I well don't know. I think a lot of like for me because I do I do gender studies currently mm. at uni um I started in gender and then came to like I started in ra- in race and then came to gender and then came to queer theory and all of those like to get to one to get to the other I had to intersect and I had to mm. understand and I think that a lot of people come to feminism and then they just stop and they're like this is this is it I've done it this is this is the be all and end all that's so true for like and I think we were talking about like the kind of mamma mia brand of like exactly. corporate feminism yeah. and they're like they just did the first up and they're like cool it's like second wave now feminism we're but that's where yeah. like that's where these terms of like white feminists are coming from is because they're often coming from places where people don't necessarily need to intersect anything mm. within their own lives because they don't experience necessarily those intersections yeah they're like i didn't wear makeup i'm a hero <laughs> yeah. or like i've Marvel grown my underarm hashtag yeah. done yeah. um I didn't just grow it i dyed it a different color come so, on I'm a real deal <laughs> solved it done take that guys it's done <laughs> um before we so if you're interested in hearing about feminism and online space and a lot of the kind of concepts around that with sabella de souza oh um, we didn't talk about emojis you have to come this afternoon so we can talk about emojis. come to the panel discussion this afternoon at contemporary out feminism and the internet happening at MCA at 3 p.m. We'll chuck a link up online on our agenda show page to that. If you want to win a ticket to that, we have a double pass to give away. You can hear more of this very interesting conversation happening in real life. Um, just text us on 0409 945 945. Tell us what your first experience with the internet was and tell us, make sure you tell us your full name and phone number. Uh, also happening tonight is the Women in Electronic Music Showcase, which will feature uh, unique Miss Blanks, Annie Bass, where and a bunch of other really incredible musicians. We're gonna leave you now with this track from Annie Bass called "Don't Wait, Don't Want, Don't Want." <laughs> Thanks, Bella. Thanks so much for joining us, Bella. Thank you.
You're on FBI Radio. You turn your back, you know I'm coming. Come and keep me always, always wanting more. And in your heart, you know I'm restless, restless. Keep me waiting, waiting till you know. 